Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, my name is Joel, by the way. One of the pastors here at Celebration. So glad that you are here with us this morning. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking through a series called Uh, compelling disciples of Jesus, compelling disciples of Jesus. And um, just sort of some stuff that we've been going through as a staff, as uh, some of our uh, connect group leaders, and just sort of chatting through um, this idea of following Jesus. Throughout the uh, Gospels, you see Jesus talk about, you will be my disciple if, and this is how I'll know you if you are my disciple. And so um, we wanted to sort of dig into that idea uh, because we often won't use that word disciple. So what does it mean? And let's, let's dig in a little bit more. And I'm, I'm so excited about these next four weeks together. I'd encourage you, join in with us. If you're maybe just checking out church today, join in over the next four weeks because I think it's gonna be a great time together. We're to be disciples of Jesus. So who is a disciple? Though the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible decide, um, defines a disciple as someone who follows another person or another way of life or who submits himself or herself to the discipline or the teaching of that leader or that way. And so sometimes over the years, we've heard the idea of discipleship being somebody else needs to disciple me. And there was even this movement that happened, like, I think it was like in the 60s and 70s, where it kind of uh, got dysfunctional, where people were like, I am not going to be a disciple of Jesus unless I have someone discipling me to be a disciple of Jesus. But the reality of it is, is that we can all be disciples of Jesus by following Jesus's example. So we're to be disciples of him. And sometimes that that means having someone in our life that's awesome, that encourages us, that helps us move forward in our walk with God. But the reality of it is, is that if you are feel like you're not moving forward in your walk with God, if you don't feel like you're being discipled, it is not an external sources problem, it is your own. That you know, it's it's so we can get we can so easily blame our church or the group around us or or whatever. But the reality of it is, is if we want to be disciples of Jesus, the choice is up to us to follow Him and to take take a part in this verb discipleship. It's an action that we're to be a part of. So, how are we discipled by Jesus? Well, this, to sum up, literally everything we're going to say over the next four weeks, the number one wor- verb of discipleship is to come. And everything Jesus taught, you can sum up in these two words. Come, come to me, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. You'll see that he's always drawing people towards himself. Number one verb is come. Number two verb is go. Matthew 28, 19 is go and make disciples of all nations. So there's action there involved on our part. That, you know, even though it's nice to belong to something and to find, you know, to find that thing that you belong to, it's also, there's a, there's just a discipleship, there's a, there's a verb, there's something we're doing here, that we're coming to Jesus and we're going and doing what Jesus said. Everything Jesus taught can be summed up in those two words, come and go. So how are we discipled? There's an action that we cannot ignore. It's not just belonging to a group of people. Jesus made it clear that his desire is we would be disciples of him. Not fans of him, not just, yeah, he's a great idea, but disciples. There's action involved. So are we being discipled by Jesus? As we considered this idea, as we sort of um, started to put some of these messages together and the idea of the direction that this, um, this 
series would go, what we realized is that all around us, at all times, people are trying to disciple us. Have you ever noticed that? That people are trying to influence you at all times. When you leave here, there's going to be advertisements for different... Wendy's across the street is trying to get you to buy a Frosty after church. They're trying to disciple you. They're trying to influence you. You go on social media. What do they want? They want you to buy into... The, the influencer wants to buy you to buy into their idea or the product that they're trying to sell. They want you to follow them. They want, they want to disciple you. Politicians, they present different ways of living, their ideas, the problems. They're going to show you about all the problems, and they're going to say, if you follow my ideas... Things are going to be better. Teachers, they're going to disciple us. They're going to say, I've, I've learned this stuff. I've gone through education. Now let me teach it to you. I'm going to influence you. Parents, that we've gone through all these different things in life, and there's ways that we want our kids to do things and don't want our kids to do things, right? Parents, are you here this morning? Are we, are we together? Right. So we're discipling these kids. Authority at work. Authority at work. What are they doing? They're trying to influence us, trying to get us to live a certain way. Even the YouTuber that's helping you fix your dishwasher is trying to disciple you. You know, like they, 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 they don't, it's not enough just to help you fix the dishwasher. At the end, they're like, comment and subscribe below. I'm gonna, you're gonna follow me. I'm gonna change your life. You're gonna be fixing things around the house. People want us to follow them. There's opportunities for this everywhere we go. We're constantly being discipled or influenced by those around us. But Jesus, and not that we can't be influenced by these things, but the thing is, is that Jesus told us to be disciples of him. And ultimately, it is my job as a disciple of him that I would be following his ways. That there's all sorts of different ways I could live my life, and there's things that can influence me, and there's desires that I can follow. But at the end of the day, the goal of my life as a follower of Jesus, as someone who belongs to this family is that I want to follow Jesus with my life, that Jesus is discipling me. And discipleship works best when it comes from an internal hunger for Jesus. If you haven't been around somebody who's come new to faith recently, you need to get around one of those people or maybe help someone find their faith. Because new believers are some of the funnest disciples to be around. They might know two scripture, like they might not know a lot. It's like John 3.16 and Jesus wept. Like those are my scriptures I know, but, but they might not know a ton of scripture, but they're hungry. They're so fun to be around because they're, it's like, wow, look at this hunger. It's, a, it's an inspiring thing to be around. I wonder if today we're sitting here and maybe we've lost that hunger. And maybe we've even blamed it on external sources, but the reality of it is, is that we just need to have a desire to get that hunger back. And the thing about it is, is as relationships go, as things change, what happens is we can't sustain what we had at the start. And I don't think Jesus is asking us to do that. Like, if, you, if your relationship to your, your spouse was the same today as it was when you first fell in love, you might, have a, you might die from a heart attack. Like, you can't sustain that for 35 years. Because when, when, you, when you first fall in love with that person, what happens? It's like, you're like overthinking every single text that you send to them. You know what I'm talking about? When you first fall in love, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so in love. I just, I want everything to go right. You're going for coffee and you're taking like an hour and a half to get ready for that coffee before you go, right? Like you can't sustain that. It's like, oh, it's so exciting. You get butterflies. And I, I remember when we, my wife and I first fell in love, it was on the phone every night, you know? And it was like, oh, you hang up first. No, you. Oh, no, you. 
And, and now it's like, let's, okay, I'm just going to leave the house messy tonight. Let's watch Lord of the Rings before bed. Like, you know, it's, you, you can't, you can't sustain that. And we get it. It's relationships change over time. But I wonder if God is trying to stir up some hunger in us, make us hungry again. As time goes on, the hunger comes and goes, and, and that's, that's okay. Like any relationship, there's different seasons. But as we start to build practices, habits, and routines in, we will ensure that we are being discipled by Jesus and drawing near to him, and it's stirring something in us. I wonder if today, we just need to take a moment and ask God to restore the joy of our salvation. God, would you remind us of what it was first like to know you? Restore some of that hunger again, Lord. Make us hungry. So why do we need discipleship? Why do we need discipleship? Well, we live in an increasingly secular world. I don't want to give you doom and gloom this morning because I think it's more so that we just need to be aware of it and not that it's like, oh, things are so terrible. The Christians are dying and one day we won't even exist. No, the reality is, is that we just live in a secular world and what secularism is summed up is it's a reverse exorcism. It goes where God is and it kicks him out. So at the very beginning, it, this was all God's you know, place, and it still is. Um, but the reality of it is, is people become secular, and, and they're, they don't have a, a, a faith bounda- foundation anymore. And, and so it's all, it's, you know, based on, you get what secular is. And so as I was reading and preparing for this, um, this today, and, and we've gone through this over the last few months of this sort of idea of discipleship, as I was reading for this uh, series I read through a lot of this report called The Great Opportunity. And what The Great Opportunity did is they went and studied um, the generation that's coming up right now, uh, Gen Z. And they kind of did some studies on Gen Z and what's happening in them. And because we want to be aware of that so that we can be more aggressive in how we reach people for Jesus. Because, man, I just feel like there's such a hope in this, this generation, Gen Z, that they want real, authentic faith. And it's like the church needs to harness that and, and get behind that and disciple those people and be a part of it. And it's exciting, but there also is some, some bad that's happening. And so the, the Great Opportunity states that one million people will leave the church this year. These are American stats. Uh, Barna also did a uh, study. That's another organization that we use for some of our research and it helps all, all sorts of different pastors. But um, their, and their study said that 67% of students lose their faith in college. This is, again, an American study, but these are numbers that it's like, okay, I'm not gonna buy into that, that we're not gonna say that this is, we're not okay with that, but it's something to be aware of in how, in, in the importance of our discipleship to Jesus. Another stat that the Great Opportunity put together is that there's a 58% likelihood that an evangelical Gen Z will stay in their faith meaning we're losing just over four out of every 10 that get saved as the, you know, the church as uh, in, in America anyway. And I don't know how much different they are. This is for this um, Canada. I was like, what's the country we live in again? Okay, Canada. But I just think it's, it's something for us to be aware of in our discipleship to Jesus and the importance of our commitment to faith. Because often what I've seen is if church becomes optional, God becomes irrelevant to young people. And what we can say to those stats is we can either allow them to be like, oh, it's so gross, how have we done this? 
Or we can say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Those stats don't represent us. As far as a, a believer in Edmonton right now, my place in the world, those are not my stats. Those might be the stats that these people have studied, that people are losing their faith, faith but we're not going to see that. We're going to see disciples of Jesus, that we don't just belong to something. This is an action. This is something that is happening in us, that we're becoming more like Jesus every day. We're not going to allow those stats to become the story of our lives. Something I'm so grateful for today that I wasn't grateful for in my childhood was that my parents said no to Sunday morning sports. And as a child, I remember being a 12-year-old, and I was on my first competitive hockey team. And first of all, I had no place in that competitive hockey team. Uh, I should not have been there. But I remember, like, I'd have, like, seven shifts a game. Like, it, it was not a lot. Uh, they were not interested. In fact, one time I even tried being goalie. I'm just, I just want to be on the ice more, okay? Just get, get me out there. But I remember that that hockey team had a rule that if you missed a practice during the week, that means you were gonna miss a period during the game coming up on whenever the game was. And so my parents said to us, sorry, but no Sunday morning sports. And often there was a practice Sunday mornings that I would miss and the coach didn't care. So I had to sit out of one of the periods of the two periods of hockey. And at the time I was so angry. I'm like, mom and dad, I'm getting seven shifts. You're turning that down to four shifts right now. Like, this is not good. And I was a little bit upset with them at the time. But today I'm so thankful for that. That church has always been a place for me where it's like, even like, as, I, as I grew up through, through times, you know, I would I'd not have self-control in my devotional life or I'd be doing this or that during the week. I'd have these all sorts of feelings about different stuff as I went through teenagehood and whatnot. But church was always that place where I came and I left with hope. Well, I came and I left knowing God loves me, knowing there's a community around me that's supporting me, lifting me up. I'm so thankful, looking back on that, that today. I'm not so thankful for, for the hockey time. I'm like, that's great, whatever. That hockey, that was good. But I'm so thankful that my parents chose you are in church Sunday morning no matter what. I, I, just, I just wanna encourage you today to, to make that the, the pathway for your life as well. And you know what? We're gonna miss church here and there. But if it becomes optional, we pass down things that for, for our kids that we, we don't even mean to, to say these things to them, but they pick them up over time. So in this series, we're going to explore discipleship a little bit more, how we can be resilient disciples, compelling disciples, that we're not going to be part of those statistics. We're not going to allow our children or our, our nephews or our nieces or the generation behind us to be a part of those uh, statistics. And so I was in a cohort. Uh, through uh, six months that just ended in March. And in this cohort, uh, they took 100 pastors in and they just helped, they helped us really um, in our discipleship alone. And these, these pastors took us in. We went to different events together and, and meetings together. And part, one of the pastors in that group that was working with us, his name's John Tyson. He's out of Church of the City in New York. And John Tyson taught us something that at the end was just so deep. It was like the number one thing that shifted all of the pastors that were in this cohort throughout this thing. And um, they gave us permission. They said, here's, here's, you know, this thing, and you can go ahead and take it back to your churches if you wish and teach it. Um, and, and so we, we, we just felt, I, I just felt like what happened in me as I experienced this thing, that the, this talk that John Tyson took us through, was it just, it summed up a lot of what I felt different times. And I really felt 
that we need to go through it this September. And I'll just, we'll, we'll call it the three pillars of discipleship. The three pillars of discipleship. And we've been teaching this to some of our connect group leaders, some of our team leaders. And it's really, really helped us be aware of where we're at in our walk with God. And so the three pillars of discipleship, I'm gonna unpack it for you in the next 15 minutes we have together. I'm gonna unpack this for you. And then over the next three weeks, we're gonna go deeper into each pillar together. So the first pillar would be presence. Presence. And this is, this is what makes up a well-rounded disciple. Somebody, as they're, as they're following Jesus, how to help us be resilient, compelling disciples that reach the world, but that can also go into secular society and, uh, and not be swayed by the secular world, not allow our, our faith to be moved to the side. And so presence is number one. We are a people that desire the presence of God, the experience, the felt, the tangible, the manifest presence of God. In Exodus 33, 15, Moses says, he says this to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He's like, I, the, the thing I want is your presence, God. I want to feel you. I want to know you're there with me. Why does God manifest himself here and not there? Like, how do we get the presence of God to show up? Simply put, God comes where he's wanted. And it's our job as disciples to be people who say, God, I want your presence here. I don't want work just to go my way today. I don't want the family dinner just to go my way. I want the presence of God. And as a church, we want the presence of God here, not just the things to go the way that we plan them to go, but we desire God's tangible presence here. And if your presence isn't with me, I don't want to go there. All through the Psalms, you see David sort of talk this way in Psalm 63, one, he says, my flesh longs for thee. Like he's like crying out. And presence, God's presence can happen anytime, all the time. It can be in a scheduled time. It can just be us being open to God's presence wherever we go. We often experience God's presence in worship and prayer, but there's different times where you experience him in quiet time with the Lord. Uh, Pete Gregg, another author, author says to um, have a, a thin place, a place where it's easy for you to hear from God and experience the presence of God. So just a desire for his presence, a hunger for the manifest, felt, experienced presence of God. Often when Jesus did something significant through the gospels, you'll see him, he'll do this work, you know, power will leave his body, something will happen, a miracle will take place, and then he'll withdraw to pray. He wanted to experience and recharge with the presence of God. So if we want to be compelling disciples that are going to reach a world for Jesus, resilient disciples, we need the presence of God. We also need formation. Formation. What is formation? What is this word? Maybe you've heard it before, maybe you haven't. It's to think, love, and act like Jesus. We want to see Christ formed in us. We want a, uh, a desire for God's response to how, how God would respond to the world around him to be our response. We want to think God's thoughts. Uh, a way Paul said it was to have the mind of Christ is what we're looking for in formation. He also said this, my little children, in Galatians 4.19, Paul says this, my little children, for who I again am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. For who I again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So for Paul, this process was so important that it was painful. He wanted so badly for these people to have Christ formed 
in them that it was painful. How many people know Paul got some angry emails from the church ladies that week? Like, they're like, how dare you, Paul, use child? You're never going to know that pain, Paul. Um, but formation happens through the reading of Scripture, daily practices, meditation on God's Word, self-control, discipline. That's where the word discipleship comes from. It's that we, we actually, we need some discipline to ensure that Christ is formed in, in us. We intentionally disciple ourselves to go God's way, not our own. So easy to go our way. We were always tempted to do our own thing, but we're discipling ourselves to follow after God's way for Christ to be formed in us. So we want presence, formation. Lastly, we want mission. Matthew 28, 19 says this, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the first word is go. We wanna be where Jesus is, and Jesus is on mission. Like we talked about, his teachings can be summed up in come and go. Come and go. Life with Jesus is a mission-marked life. When I talk about mission, it's that there's lost sheep, like Jesus talked about, that Jesus said, I'll leave the 99 who are safe and secure together, and I'll go out there into danger to find the one. I will go wandering to go find that. I'm not okay with leaving that lost sheep on their own. And so what mission is all about is that there's lost sheep. There's prodigals. There's people who need healing emotionally and physically, and it's not enough for us to just bother, for it to just bother us and be like, ah, whatever, it's their problem. But Jesus says, go, reach these people. That's why we do Alpha. It's like, not just for us, the church. Alpha is like, if you don't want to attend my church with me, would you at least come to dinner and a movie with me once a week for 12 weeks in a row? (laughs) That's really what Alpha is. We just want to host people. Because we, I mean, we love our neighbors and our friends who are far from God. But it's not just about loving them. It's like recognizing, I'm safe with the 99. This person's out there, and I have to stick my neck out at some point and risk them rejecting me, risk them thinking I'm weird in order to bring them home. So that's where Jesus is, chasing them down. So as a church, we're asking ourselves, what can we do to make the most of the time frame for people under the age of 35? Because this, uh, in this study, uh, the Great Opportunity states that people decide and stick with their faith by the age of 35, the, the majority of people. I think it's like 90% was the number. So if it's like, like that's, that's the reason like we love children's ministry. That's the reason, you know, we're, we're already thinking about how are we going to better resource it. We're always thinking, how are we going to better resource our children's ministry, our youth? How can we do better at discipling those people? Because people make that decision and they stick with it by the age of 35. And what's happening, young people are leaving the church because they just think it doesn't matter. But what happens is as we live on mission, we show them that life with Jesus matters, that your life can communicate a compelling vision to follow Jesus as you make discipleship your aim. And it takes serious process. And what I don't want to do this morning is go, sweet, you know how you have like uh, this family that you have to take care of? And you know how you have these friendships that you don't have enough time for as it is? And you know how you have that job that takes up all your time and stresses you out and all that? Yeah, well, I'm going to lay something even more heavy on you this morning. I'm not trying to do that this morning. What I'm trying to say is, as you go into your daily life, I really strongly believe 
that all it takes is for our eyes to just kind of look for the opportunities to be on mission. That what if it would just, what if, it, what if you would just give God 20, 15, 20 minutes a day? What would change in your life? If you just said, I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of sleep. I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of Netflix. I'm going to, whatever it is, to say, God, I want more of you in my life. I wonder what would change for you. I wonder if you'd be less anxious. I wonder if you'd actually spend less money and, and the, the budget would be a little bit easier to meet. I, I wonder what would change for you if you just took some time to say, God, my daily life is a missional life for Jesus. Let me give you some examples of that. Do you love, maybe you love hosting people. You love having people over, making a charcuterie board, doing like, I don't know, DIY pizza night, whatever you do. Your hospitality, if, you, if that's your bend, first of all, you're amazing. And second off, your hospitality can be missional. And it's not that you, you know, when those people come into your home, you, you, you get ready with your five-point message. You got an altar call. You're good to go. You got a little keyboard on your phone. Yes, Lord, this is happening. It's just simply by, it's literally, you can, you can be prophetic as people are just in your home for dinner. That you can encourage people. That you can speak. You don't even have to say, God says this about you. You can just say, you know what I see in you? And you can start to see what God sees and you start to encourage them. You'll watch as sort of the, their, their posture shifts as you encourage people and they start to think, what's different about this person? Maybe if you coach a hockey team and you're at that hockey team and you, and you think, like, you've been going and you're just like, this is just part of my life. This is what I do. I wonder if you just took a minute in the car before you went into practice and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. I wonder what's going on in those kids' homes. That they, can't, they maybe can't even explain it, but you are the person that makes them feel safe, that makes them feel loved and encouraged. I wonder how the Holy Spirit would work through you. Maybe you go to an office or a work site every day, and you've been seeing it as a place to make money, and then that's it. I'm just here to get my bills paid. But God is saying, you go to a mission field every single day, a place where they, they don't know my love yet. They don't know the hope that they have in me yet, but you do. So we want all of these things operating in our lives. And for what we found as we studied this in our cohort was that so many of us didn't have all three of these. These are pastors, a hundred pastors who are supposed to be the good ones, right? We're supposed to have it all together, right? Our life is perfect. No, but what we found as we studied this is that all of us had bends in certain directions. And as John Tyson put this together, like he, he, he put it together from years of studying people and seeing what happens. And so what we want to do is we want to be compelling disciples that reach people for Jesus. But what often happens and why we're sensing that something is a little bit off is that we're leaning in certain directions. And that's the reason we're, we're sort of feeling like, why, why am I not moving forward? Or why am I stuck? Or why does this, you know, why does this or that happen for me? And so what happens is you start to lean into presence and you become hyper-spiritual. And sometimes people that lean into this way, they become like a wrecking ball of God told me because there isn't formation to sort of uh, check the, the, is this God's voice speaking to you? And, and so you have a hard time differentiating that. Or maybe if it's presence and formation you're in, that what happens is there's a spiritual selfishness there. And we stick with the 99 
And the one that's wandered away, they don't even cross our mind. They're in the petting zoo, you know? It's like, whatever. Or if it's all formation, what happens is you become a spiritual narcissist. And you start to... You just, I want to be careful because I, I, I don't want to be too intense this morning. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Um, but maybe, I don't know, maybe some people need their, their feelings. I just think that... What happens in formation is you become legalistic and it's great that you know God's word, but you don't act like Jesus and people get turned away because your number one concern is, is just formation. You're a spiritual narcissist. Then formation and mission happen and sometimes we can become social activists, self-righteous, or we get all mission and what happens there is secular renewal. So like we're making things better, but it's not turning people back to Jesus. We're motivated by our plans, not God's plans. Not aware of what the Holy Spirit wants to do, just what we want to do. Or there's mission and presence. And we become shallow servants. And we get swayed by the world so easily. Our roots aren't deep. We burn out easy. We get confused about God's voice and direction for our lives. But when they all happen together, and when we say, I'm going to lean into my bias and not, not just say, oh, that's not me. When we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually focus on maybe what's not operating. And I, I, there's probably, everybody reading here knows what your bias is already. What happens is we start to know him more personally. We start to see himself formed in us. We start to hear the voice of God more clearly. And then we start to give it away. And our lives compel people to ask about the God that we serve. And discipleship to Jesus is not about, yeah, I'm going to know every verse and I have to do all this heavy stuff. And how am I going to have time to, for all this stuff to happen? What happens in discipleship is about it's lighting yourself on fire. And people come from all over to watch you burn. There's like a fire in you. Something happens and, and people start to ask questions. And people start, to, what has changed? There's something different about you. And you might be sitting here this morning going, ah, this sounds like a lot. And I think I'm okay as it is. Luke 14, 26, Jesus says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my, my disciple. Jesus, what the hang? That is intense. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The, the word hate here can be translated to love less. Okay, so you don't have to go home and be like, kids, I'm not feeding you, I hate you now. Moving on. But it, what he's saying is there's a contrast here. That sometimes we get so focused on all these other things in life that we just kind of leave Jesus in the background and, and hopefully he'll have his way and I'll call him when I need him. But the reality of it is, is that when you start to follow Jesus, when you're discipled by him in this way, this is, this is what's so funny about it. You start to be a better son or daughter. You start to be a better father. You start to be a better mother. You start to be a better husband or wife. You start to be a better brother and sister. And that's why he's saying, just come to me. I'm going to help you get all that stuff sorted out. But you are my child. I love you. I want to see Christ formed in you. And I think sometimes what we forget 
is that in discipleship to Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, it's the most beautiful thing. But when we say yes to Jesus, we also say an invisible no to a lot of things. And when it starts to cost us something, sometimes it's a little bit painful. But we honor and we respect it more when we do. And we see God move in amazing ways. And when and then all of a sudden we're, we're turning to all these other things to try and get fulfillment. And when we turn to God, we get the fulfillment we were looking for it the whole time. My kids, bless them. They, they sometimes, and parents, you got, you'll know what I'm talking about a little bit. Um, they, they can be a little bit rough on our home. Uh, and we, we bought our home off of empty nesters and it was, everything was perfect. I was like, this is awesome. I suck at renovating. This is perfect. This is the house I wanted. It's perfect. And one year into this home with children, I have a very long to-do list of what they have done to that house. You know, there's holes, there's dings, there's scratches, there's floor that needs to be replaced. And the thing about it is, is they don't honor the house. I'm trying to teach them how to honor it. But they don't honor that house because it doesn't cost them anything. I honor and I take care of it because it costs me so much. You know what I'm talking about. And sometimes we actually don't allow our faith to cost us anything. And maybe you're here this morning saying, I don't have time for that. And Jesus is saying to you, just would you come to me? Come to me. And yeah, it might cost you something. But man, you'll find what you're looking for. You will find what you're looking for. Would you stand with me? God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Father. Holy Spirit, be with us. God, thank you for this beautiful church. Thank you for these amazing people. Thank you for their hearts. God, our lives are yours. Jesus, we want to follow you. Thank you for the great plan and the great purpose you have for everyone. Thank you for those that are maybe feeling lost or abandoned, that you're calling them home today. Thank you for the people who feel like the one. And Jesus, you're out there with them, coming back to the 99. Thank you, God. God, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you just reveal your plans, reveal some next steps to some people right now. God, thank you for those next steps. Thank you for the different lives in here. God, would you just, we ask you right now, show us your way. We want your will to be done in our lives. And we say, have your way. Whatever it is that maybe we have to give up, whatever it is that we might need to even just say no to, we yield to your will. We know your plans are better for, than ours, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you. If you're in the room today and you're feeling like that one lost sheep, maybe you've been with the 99 before, but you wandered away, or maybe you felt like you've never been, you've never belonged to Jesus. I want you to know that today you can pray a prayer to change everything for you. That if you believe that Jesus is your Lord, if you believe God raised him from the dead, you can pray this prayer with me and you will now belong to Jesus. You'll begin your journey or re-begin your journey in discipleship to him.
So I'll just ask you to pray this prayer after, after me, and I'll ask everybody uh, who is a disciple of Jesus to pray this prayer as well. Say, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and dying on the cross to pay for my freedom. I believe that you're my Lord and God raised you from the dead. Today I ask that you come into my heart. From now on, I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we put our hands together for what God's done here today? Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.